the church, of course, but he, he, you know, he doesn't just sprinkle pixie dust and make that happen, right? He uses you and I. He uses his people to do that. And to be a part of that, to be a part of that is absolutely first century. It's, it's historical, and it is an amazing opportunity. Don't let that slip by you in these days. It's phenomenal. Uh, and so this is the, the days in which we get to be in. Okay, you guys all, all okay? I'll move on. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to talk to you about introducing God, and I'm going to move to you into Hebrews chapter 6. It's a tough passage, so we'll, we'll skip the harsh parts of it and move into the sweet spot over there, uh, in ver- pick up in verse 9. But the context here is about our faithful God, and the context is really about that, that as followers of Jesus, we can be faithful. We can be faithful to God. Why? Because God is faithful to us. And he leads and shows the way and provides the grace for us to be faithful. The whole context here, the backdrop, what we're going to look at, is uh, leading into these verses, is the writer in Hebrews is, is writing to the Christians who are spread out over there in the first century area, and he's writing to them and he's saying, listen, here's a warning shot. Don't quit God. Don't, don't tired, uh, get tired of being faithful. There's, he gives some examples of people who, who did quit God, who did practice unfaithfulness, whose faith wasn't real. It, 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 it vaporized in difficult times. He said, you're not like that. And we'll pick up here uh, in verse 9. Dear friends, even though we're ta- we are talking this way, saying, look, some people chuck the faith here, we really don't believe it applies to you. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Can I read that? Is that up on the, is that behind me? Can I read that again? Because I'm I'm not going to speak on this, but I wanted to weigh in on this with you for a second. And I want you to think about your current situation, your life, and uh, your situation here as a church family, and this applies to us as well. For God is not just. What is he doing? He will not forget how hard you have worked for him. You and I, we sometimes think, who sees this? Does it really matter? It matters to God, and it will matter to God and you for all eternity. God keeps score. For uh, he will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him. How? How? By caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true because it proves that your faith is real. Right? You just don't, oh, oh, I guess I'll quit loving God and loving other people. Uh, You know, that's not a faithful life. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. And here's the push. That's the push here. Don't become spiritually dull and indifferent to the work and the way of God for your life and in your life. Um, Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. For example, uh, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to, do, uh, to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. I'll get two quick points for you this morning. Is that God is the faithful anchor for our lives. All right, we'll take a look. So God has given both his promise and his oath. 
These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He, was, he has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Heavenly Father, we, we give you this morning, we pray that you would help us to lean into your word. God, that you'd find our hearts and our minds, our wills um, clean, swept clean, and are ready to receive how your Holy Spirit would like to speak to each of us and together corporately as, as your family. Lord, uh, we just open ourselves to your spirit and to your word, and we ask for your help here. Amen. So I want to talk to you about this reality that God is a faithful anchor for our lives. So here's the passage. I'm going to say everything that you already know, perhaps, and it's just a reminder that God is the anchor. He is the refuge for our lives. And he provides us the refuge from our mortal enemies, which is, in the scriptures, you know, is sin, uh, uh, death, the world, the flesh, uh, the devil, uh, those, those go into it. And I mentioned that, uh, this uh, three-step opposition in our lives. Sin, uh, or oftentimes the world, is this, um, our human nature, that we are pathologically opposed to God and to the things of God in our lives. We have that bent, that proclivity uh, on us. We have death as a resulting separation from God. Uh, death separates us from uh, the, those that we love, and if we don't know Christ, if we don't know God, then it separates us from him who loves us. And then, of course, the personification of evil, the devil, uh, who, exists, uh, who exists in opposition to God, and in opposition to everything that God wants to do that is good. And so... Um, I think about this issue of um, refuge, uh, finding refuge in God, because um, there's such a, uh, I guess, a drastic illustration of this. Um, you, you, just a couple months ago, much of the world um, was watching the unfolding of uh, Mary uh, Opal, uh, Ukraine. Uh, you'll remember that, that there was um, the city that's been reduced to rubble by the Russian bombardment. There were about 1,000 civilians who had fled for safety, for shelter, for refuge in a steel mill there. And uh, they had, their steel mill had uh, a variety of this steel factory had a tunnel system. And so they were barricaded in that tunnel system. Over a thousand civilians, uh, mostly women and children. And so uh, they were there and the whole world was praying uh, you know, uh, for their safety and for their release and for uh, their rescue. And so by God's grace in this matter, the safety and rescue eventually arrived, and many of those, most of those civilians were able to escape. Um, and so that's the answer to many prayers. And there is an oppositional enemy to our souls, to everything that God is trying to accomplish in our lives uh, for his good, uh, and in his church and through his church for good. There is a, a being, a spiritual being, who has an opposition to that. And on board with us is that selfish bent as well. And so uh, we seek refuge. We seek rec rescue uh, in God alone. Um, let, me, let me push forward here, and uh, I'll speak real quick to this and then get out of the way. And that is, uh, if you were like me on Friday, I, I turned on the TV and I began switching channels between CNN and Fox News, so that I could get the wide variety of, uh, <laughs> of input, right? <laughs> From one perspective to the other. 
because I was watching the reporting of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, which uh, we got a glimpse of a couple months ago, and which I, I think is uh, answered to answered prayers of the last 50 years on this issue. But as I'm watching that, going from channel to channel and, and, and listening, uh, you realize that that decision uh, can just also continues to highlight the deep divisions that are in uh, our American society on a host of issues, this, this being foremost now. And whenever we look at that deep divisions that are taking place in American society, I have to take that, and I think I turn the lens onto the church in America, the American church, and realize we have to see, undersee and recognize the deep divisions uh, with, within our ranks, or you know, over um, you know, our issues of social issues, um, cultural issues, disagreements, political, non-essential doctrinal issues, and uh, that's where we're at uh, as American Christians. I say all that, I bring those two together when we're talking about the refuge, finding refuge with God, is that is, I don't think it's an exaggeration for me to suggest that we're living in turbulent times. And uh, we have the loss and the fallout of a, uh, of a global pandemic. Uh, we have uh, potentially a global proxy war between Russia and Ukraine that continues to grind on. Um, we've got looming global energy and uh, food shortages seeming to, to take place, many are predicting. We've got crushing inflation that's moving forward and gripping us now. We've got um, you know, uh, potential recession that's going to take place here. We've got social and political discord and distrust, uh, right? upheaval and unemployment and labor market. All these multiple currents are at work. All of them are at work pulling at us along the way. And the passage reminds us, again, that God is the anchor for our lives. Nothing else really is because everything else in this world, including us, are imperfect and temporary. Careers, right? Whatever our job might be, our careers are, uh, are still, they're imperfect and temporary. Friends, and it's great to have as many as we can get, but they're all t temporary and imperfect, right? And they can move. Family can be the same way. They can be imperfect and temporary. I know it's not your family, but I've heard it. They can be imperfect and temporary, right? And they can move. It works like that, right? Health can be imperfect and temporary. It can go away. All of these things are imperfect uh, and temporary, all except God. When uh, I mentioned I, I, was, uh, I grew up in Maine, I grew up in down east Maine, and uh, I grew up on uh, an area of water called the Bay of Fundy, which is between the state of Maine and the province of New Brunswick, Canada. Some of, and it's a, some of the highest tides in the world take place there. <clears throat> it's a dispute between, uh, I say us, the Maritimes, and uh, a location in, I think, uh, I think it's South Korea, maybe North Korea, and a place in, um, uh, in Russia. I think it's uh, Urktusk. Anybody ever play Risk? Maybe Kamchatka. It's one of those over there. All right. So anyways, I, I, I got a picture of that here. I wanted to show you. You see it? There. These are the tides, right? They're 28 to 38 feet tides where these guys, full or the boats are at the dock. You can hop on and off them, and then at low tide, you've got to take a ladder down to get to them, right, uh, out there. So uh, 
I lived on the uh, area called the St. Croix River, uh, which allowed large ships, not super tankers, but certainly oil tankers, uh, to come up and to deposit oil across the river into Canada. They would sail up the St. Croix from the the harbor, uh, from the Bay of Fundy, up the river that was affected by the tides, uh, and uh, and that was the commerce of the day that was able to do this. The St. Croix uh, emptied into the Bay of Fundy, where at some points the river had had a depth of 500 feet. Um, And I'm I'm giving you all this information because uh, at the time, one time growing up, our family had a a small boat. It was uh, maybe 15 feet, 10 to 15 feet, and it was built for lakes. It's a great boat for lakes. You could take that boat out and you could go bass fishing, pull an inner tube behind it. Wonderful boat for lakes. Um, for some reason, we decided, let's take it out on the ocean. And uh, we, we docked it down there, as you may know, down there in Robinston, uh, Maine. You know that, where they had the boat landing there. And uh, it was at the mouth of the Bay of Fundy and uh, the St. Croix uh, River. And so we were launched out into there. We got out maybe 50 yards, and I realized, hey, uh, the plug was out of the boat and water was coming in. So we plugged that back up, and I'm, I'm probably like 12 at the time and bailing out. We, we, we cruise up the river, that was the goal, to cruise up the river with, with the tide coming in. So we were just going to have a fun day out there, maybe do a little uh, fishing along the way. I can't remember how long, but we were going along a little bit, and then something happened. Our, our outboard motor, it was a Johnson. The thing never worked right, and it decided not to work right on that day. And then all of a sudden it cut out, and we were dead in the water. Dead in the water. All of a sudden... At the same time that that thing cut out, the tide changed. This tide is fast moving. And all of a sudden, our boat was heading upstream. Boom! Just turned, just like that. Started moving down uh, the river. So uh, my stepdad took uh, the anchor, tossed it out into the river. And uh, we were fortunate enough that it stuck. It, it, it hooked onto the bottom. I got a picture of what that looked like. I took it in that day. Okay, maybe I didn't found that. Just make sure you're here with me. And the anchor held. It held there. And so what we were able to do was just to stay there while the while water was pulling us, sucking that boat out toward the harbor and into the Bay of Fundy, into the rough waters, the deep sea. And so we were able to tie life jackets to an oar, and we're waving and waving, and after like what seemed like hours, somebody finally came by and saw us and came over and uh, towed us back into land. I mentioned that, this anchor, if you take a look, because that anchor that, that tossed overboard and, and grabbed a hold, it provided us the security that we needed. If you take a look at it, it connects the boat to the bottom. The boat to the bottom. The boat is movable. It's going back and forth, moving around on top. The water is moving. Its constant current is moving along. But the anchor is connected to something that is immovable there. It's immovable. It's not going anywhere. It's able to hold on. And I say that because I think often, like the St. Croix there, that river, it's like life. It's constantly moving. The tides are changing. Sometimes it's in. Sometimes it's moving out. Sometimes it's flat. The boat is moving. We're moving all the time. The water is, is constantly uh, moving around. It can be scary. It's pulling us in different directions. There's no security there, right? The reality is in life, we experience the same kind of changes. 
Jobs change, finances change, relationships change, family changes, friendships change, uh, health changes, right? Uh, uh, culture changes. It's all changing. But the anchor is connected to that which does not change. And of course, our anchor is in Christ. Our anchor is in God. The reality is we are created by God to know God and to trust God. And so we're always, as human beings, going to be searching for something imperfect to trust in. That is not God. That's how we're wired. And we have to set our anchor on God. There's a great phrase, a great verse over there in, I think, Psalm 73, where the psalmist says, I have set the sovereign Lord as my refuge, as my refuge. That's a great statement there. God is the faithful anchor for our lives. He is the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And um, his faithfulness is inextricably linked to his characters, who he is along the way. I come to this passage and I ask myself and we ask ourselves together, what are we anchoring our lives to these days? What is there that we are anchoring our lives to uh, in our times? Is it something that is imperfect and temporary and will, is bound to disappoint? Or are we learning to anchor ourselves to God? More and more learning to anchor our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our happiness, our joy, anchored into who God is and all that he has for us? That's a great question uh, along the way. We can be faithful. We can be faithful to God because he is faithful to us. I'll give you one more point, and it's this. God is faithful to his ancient promise for us in Christ. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. And so you know the story. We get introduced to God, and as a creator God, he's a creator of the universe, uh, he's all-powerful, all-good, all all-knowing, all-present, all-holy, all-just. And because he is love, he wants to um, share that love, and so he creates humanity. Humanity rejects God, turns to their own way from God. And so God develop, develops a plan to win them back, to bring his people back, and it's, it's through a promised son. God rolls out this plan. He begins working through a couple, an elderly couple, Abraham and Sarah, and he says to them, I'm going to allow you to provide you with a promised son, well beyond age of childbearing, but God does this, about 1800 B.C. God provides a miracle baby, a promised son, through whom he's going to bring about through the lineage the promised son, the promised Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the whole Old Testament, looking forward to Jesus Christ. And so what God does with Abraham is he makes this covenant agreement. This is a bloody deal in the day. God takes an animal, sacrifices it, cuts it in two, uh, splits it apart, and there's blood everywhere, and uh, God uh, walks through this with Abraham in a vision there. And so uh, he does this with Abraham, and he cuts a covenant. Literally, he cuts a covenant, a sacrifice of animals, right, that he does. This covenant makes two strong points. One, God makes a promise through the shedding of blood. And God stakes that promise on himself. And it points toward the covenant that Jesus is going to bring, the new covenant, which is in his shedding of blood. And Abraham is faithful because he trusts in God's faithfulness to them. 
I think this is true. How do you trust anything without trusting someone? How do you trust anything without trusting someone? You, uh, uh, getting ready to take a, a, an international drive in our car, and I'm going to go internationally, because I can now, uh, and I'm going to trust my car to drive internationally based upon the word of a mechanic. He said, yeah, I think you could do that. <laughs> okay, all right, here we go. You, many people, uh, perhaps you trust a prescription. You, you trust the prescription that you drive up and get is the right one. Why? Because uh, a doctor prescribed it, a pharmacist filled it, and uh, a lab tech hands it to you through the drive through window or pick up, whatever it might be. It's a lot of, right? How do you trust anything without trusting someone? You, you, you trust your surgery, surgery is needed, and you trust that, that it is needed, and that you're getting it well done because a doctor tells you that. You trust that your job is secure because the guy selling the company says so, right? Yeah, you're good. Um, you trust um, that your kid's doing well in college because they tell you. You say, how are you doing? Fine. How are classes? Fine. How are you, how, how, how's your grades coming along? Fine. All right. Talk to you later. Fine. <laughs> you trust, you know, that your fiancé loves you. Why? Because he or she says they do. You trust that your husband or your wife loves you. Why? Because they say they do. Right? How do you trust anything without trusting someone? And here's the push of the passage. We can trust God with our lives. God says, let me be your anchor. Put all your hopes, put all your ambitions, put all your search for happiness ultimately in me. And here's a little twist. I'm going to give you a twist here at the end. Is that God always gives us more than we expect. He gives us forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He gives us grace in Jesus Christ, as we sang earlier. But so much more. His, his wisdom and his will and his ways, his goodness in our lives and through our lives, his care and his guidance along the way in, his, in right ways, that really do fill our need for significance and security and all the different ways that we search that out. I like to think of it as like this, because uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. So I came to faith uh, as a, a, a going into my senior year in high school. So I know what it is uh, whereof I speak. And I've raised kids as well in that time frame, watched them grow up along the way. I, I got a great image in my mind here of how good God is and how, how um, sometimes it's hard for us to see that. Uh, until we embrace who he is and he embraces us in the love of Christ. You see, children, see, I, I, did I mention I'm from Barrington? I'm living in Barrington these days. Barrington's a cool place, got no sidewalks, two streetlights. One thing we have in Barrington is we, we do have indoor plumbing, uh, but we have septic tanks. You know what that is? It means we, don't, we have a well and septic tanks. And one of my great picture I have is uh, children playing in the dirt over a septic tank, over a septic field. They got their Tonka toys out, they got their trucks out there, they got some shovels, they're going to work in over that septic tank, over that septic field. They're having a blast, having a great time. A parent comes by, say it's a dad, says, hey kids, let's go to the beach. Their kids, beach, beach what? They got no idea, no concept what the beach is. What does that do? What are you saying anyways? What are you talking about? Never been there, never experienced it, no idea what dad is talking about. They say, no thanks, we're having a great time here. Dirt's just getting moister, right? 
It's getting it's a rich, fertile soil here. We're having who knows what's what we're just starting to dig. Who knows what we could find, right? So the, the dad said to them, no, no, no. He urges them, no, no, come on, trust me. Trust me, come on, really, let's put that down. I'll hose you off, hop in the minivan there, we'll get to the beach. Kids go to the beach, blown away. Miles and miles, and their kid eyes, miles and miles of sand, right? Acres and acres of ocean. They're playing in the sand where they can dig to their heart's content. There's rocks, they can go around and find uh, shells and glass, and they're seeking and, and uh, you know, grabbing urchins by the handfuls. And then, and then they're, they're, they're in the waves, playing and body surfing and having the time of their life. Time of their life, right? They have no idea how much better the beach will be until they go. Until they go. God says to you and me, he says to us, because we're living our lives, playing our lives without him, we're playing our lives on the septic tank, on the septic field. And we think it's so good so fulfilling, right? It's just here and now. And God says, no, really, trust me. I have so much more, so much better for you than this. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your goodness uh, to us. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us that you demonstrate and have proven uh, in Jesus Christ. I thank you for the Holy Spirit which convicts our hearts and our minds and our wills, God, Uh, about who you are and all you have for us in Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would help us to lean into these truths. I pray that for my own life. I pray that for everybody here, Lord God, that you would help us to trust in you, to lean into you, to, to, to find you to be more and more the anchor in our lives that we genuinely want and are truly seeking. I pray that in Christ's good name. Amen.